Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Hammer, and Umpire Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kevin Weber, and I'm here in Michigan on a nice late summer day, pondering my last umpiring assignment next week, the final 40 and over men's league game that I've got, which, you know, there's some guys there that, you know, used to be maybe some college players or really good high school players back in the day. A lot of guys in their 40s, but many of them 60 plus, and uh, they go out and play once a week. There's only two teams in the league right now, and you got to give guys credit, man. I mean, there's some guys, they're in like their late 60s and they're catching the whole game, which I used to catch back in the day. <laughs> I don't think I could catch one inning now. All right. So um, I was also able to work the, the younger men's league game last week. Um, I guess their championship game, the final game. You know, they have their little playoff. There's about five teams in the league. A lot of guys in their, their mid-20s, you know, there's some older guys that are in their 30s, maybe 40, um, you know, that played some local college ball um, around here in West Michigan and, and central area of Michigan. And uh, so they've got some some skills, you know, which is nice. It's actually the best pitch game that I've done in the 50 or so games that I've done this year. You know, two good pitchers that pitched in college, this kind of big lefty kid that threw, you know, mid to high 80s I'd say and had a really good breaking pitch and threw a lot of strikes with you know I had a good catcher that you know I felt comfortable behind that could handle it so did that and then we had a, a righty that you know throws pretty hard too about about the same and has pretty good breaking pitch himself and threw a lot of strikes and so it was a low scoring game and guys were making plays and um, you know a little bit like kind of doing a juco game I guess or you know d3 game or something like that and uh so it was nice to kind of get back into that it was, it was kind of the first time in all the games i've done this summer where i felt like i was doing some good baseball <laughs> you know it's a, it's tough man when you're doing like 14 15 u and there might be one kid for an inning or so that's kind of humming them in there and and you know taking care of business but usually you guys are just, you know, the catchers are butchering the ball and, you know, the guy can't find a strike zone or, you know, guys can't make plays in the field, you know, pop up, they can't catch it or a routine ground ball, they can't make a play and get the guy out, that kind of stuff. So it was nice, you know, it was a quick game and we, we played a full seven in like an hour and 40 minutes. You know, that's the way baseball is supposed to be, man. You, you should be able to get a seven inning game done in less than two hours if the teams are decent. I haven't seen a lot of that. I know that some of the reason for that is definitely the the pandemic and the players weren't able to prepare properly and everything else going on. But, you know, some of them were just a bit of a struggle. But so that was good. It was good. And also it's good to get back there and uh, work the plate in a game like that and say, hey, you know what? I can still kind of handle this because <laughs> right? when it's been a while, you know, I don't know, you kind of wonder sometimes if, you know, can you get back there and, and do it when it's, you know, more high-level stuff? Yeah, all right. can still handle it. So, and it's still fun. That's why I like doing it, all right? So, the older guys maybe don't necessarily throw that hard, so it's a little bit more of a struggle at times, but um, we'll see what we can do. Might have some fall ball going on here, too. You know, get out there and do a few things. Um, I don't know if we're going to have a lot of fall baseball as far as college going on, because here... We've got um, the Division Two, Division Three conferences have like canceled all their fall sports. And I find it hard to believe that they're going to let them play fall baseball um, if they're not letting 
the fall sports play. I mean, I don't see how that goes. I mean, I'd love it if they do, but I don't see how that's going to happen. So that's you know, one of the D1 conferences did that. Our D2 conference over here, the D3. I haven't heard about the NAIA. I don't know what they're doing. I think they might be doing the same thing. But nonetheless, it's going to be a bit of a struggle to get in some higher level baseball here in the fall. I usually am lucky to get a you know few games that way with some uh, better baseball in the fall. But I don't know if that's going to happen this year. And I think that's going to affect uh, some of the camps. I mean, I go to the three-man camp usually every year and the we have like a two-man advance camp here as well, and there's other camps around the Midwest and just like other parts of the country. If these players can't play in practice and they don't have fall baseball, how are we going to get some of those teams out there to play games that we can you know, learn in the camps? That's going to be a bit of a struggle, but hopefully you know, people running the camps are going to figure that out and, and do what they can with it, I guess. Maybe it might have to be some of the travel teams. I don't know. We'll see what we can do. Anyway, I've got a few things for you. I've got some uh, some listener emails, a couple, actually about two or three of those that uh, I've gotten recently that I'm finally getting around to. I'm going to answer some questions with those. Also give you a little update on um, high school sports, at least in my area and what I've noticed um, in other areas of the country. And, um, and if you guys, you know, want to, Get a hold of me and let me know what you're thinking about certain things. Um, I'd love to use it on the show. So contact me via Facebook or Twitter. Uh, send me a uh, an email message at spawnfusion06 at yahoo.com. Or leave me a voicemail through the Anchor app. You can do like 60 seconds or less. And man, you can say a lot in, in a minute, okay, about some particular topic. And I'd be happy to use that on the show and talk about it. And like you're a little 60-second guest, I guess. So any of those things, I highly suggest it. And um, it definitely helps me to uh, formulate some things for future shows. Nonetheless, sit back and listen to another episode of The Hammer, an umpire podcast. A newer umpire, Robert Fobian, he's out of... Uh, Virginia, he's emailed me a few times and uh, sent me an email this week, which I appreciate. Um, it goes for anybody. You know, anytime you send me an email, I really, I really do appreciate it. I read them, I look at it. I try to sometimes answer them on the show, or I'll send you a response. Sometimes I'm a little slower than other times, but I, I, I definitely do that. You know, it's not like I get like thousands of emails, so I can certainly handle it. All right. Anyway, he uh, listened to the show last week, which I appreciate, and he was talking about uh, different things that I had mentioned and his responses to them. Uh, one of them dealing with, you know, just the way organizations have dealt with COVID and the response to that. And in his organization, um, they kind of came up with some different mechanics, which seems like they're pretty solid. Um, we're not doing this here in Michigan, but, you know, I don't think it would be a, such a big deal if we did. Um, it, it definitely is safer um, as far as the way you, know, you work things. I mean, they, they have um, the guy, you know, two-man crew. The guy that's in B or C is calling balls and strikes. But they do have a guy on the plate um, that's kind of either first baseline or third baseline extended. And, um, you know, he has, you know, some equipment on, like a chest protector and, um, you know, a cup or whatever, and maybe some shin guards or something like that. Now, he's not calling balls and strikes, but he's doing fair fouls and um, obviously plays at the plate and also should have his responsibilities in regular two-man mechanics like covering third base and things like that. 
So he said uh, he had a new, as a new guy, you know, I had a little trouble with this one senior umpire a few weeks ago. Um, Robert was um, working, you know, the BC uh, and doing balls and strikes for their protocol. And the other guy was on the plate working in the first base and third baseline extended. And this senior umpire wasn't rotating to third base. And so he basically uh, didn't know how to handle that. You know, he, you know, it's hard when you're a newer guy. And, and, I, and I always say newer guy because, you know, you might be 42 years old and you decide you want to umpire, which is awesome. I mean, we need everybody we can get all over the country. So it's not younger always. I mean, we do get younger guys, but um, and I don't know what age Robert is. I mean, he could be a younger guy too. But if you're new to this and other guys have been doing it for a while, it's hard to to say to somebody, hey, you know, that's not the way we're supposed to be doing it when, um, when you have a problem. Now, somebody like me or... Some of our other listeners out there that have been around the block, if a guy wasn't doing that, this is our protocols, yeah, I'm going to come in between innings and say, hey, man, why aren't you getting third? You know, what's going on? Um, but he said, as Robert said, he, he got vapor lock trying to approach him about this, and he just let it go. So um, he didn't really want to disrespect him, which I understand. That, that's true. But there is a point, and, and it probably is between innings, if that's happened once or, or definitely twice, you know, in a game, if it happened pretty close together. It's like, hey, I thought, weren't we supposed to have third base lists like in regular two-man on, on those rotations? I mean, just come in and ask that. Are you going to get that? Or, you know, let me know what's going on here. Um, I, I'm just trying to make sure I'm doing it right. You know, if you, if you kind of take it on yourself and ask that question, I think that that, you know, if you have a situation like that again, it's, you're certainly not that you could you you could post game that stuff and talk about it and, and that's a good thing to do, but when it's a senior guy that's maybe a little bit harder to do. When it's something in the game, and I'm sure you're sitting out there in BC every other time a guy is on first or first and third, and you're thinking, hmm, I wonder if this guy's actually going to be there. And then you've got to you know maneuver yourself farther over toward third to try to get that bag in case he doesn't get there and that takes you out of position for your plays at first and second base i mean that is the main problem when guys don't cover third is is that you can't trust them then you're not trusting them on the field and and you're trying to cover everything and when you're trying to cover everything then you're kind of out of position for lots of things (laughs) that's not good we don't want to be out of position we're not able to get those few steps closer that we might, you know, it might only be two steps. It might be two strides that we get closer and get set to, you know, have a good angle on a play at second base or first base that we can't get because we're worried that our partner is not going to be at third base. So, yeah, try to address that in the game. If the guy gets all worked up, you know, that's kind of on him, right? I mean, you try to, you know, maybe deflect it to yourself, even though it isn't really your fault, and say, Hey, you know, am I wrong? I thought we were supposed to, I thought the the plate guy here is still supposed to cover third. Did I get that wrong? You know, that kind of thing. Try to phrase it that way. You have time while you're sitting there in the field being ticked off that the guy's not covering third to think about how you can phrase it and put it that way. I mean, you don't want to run in there and say, dude, you're supposed to be covering third. What the hell's going on? You know, that kind of thing. Then you're going to have some conflict. But um, I, I think that you can come up with some phrasing that might be able to handle it and try to handle it. Uh, in that moment. Robert had one other um, item that he shared with me, and uh, I'll just read it to you and then tell you my thoughts on that. He said, uh, during the summer, my association works men's leagues and youth travel. 
we cover primarily 13 to 18U. For 12U to 9U, and he says, I can't believe that there are 9U and 10U travel. Let me tell you, Robert, we got it around here. I mean, I've seen 8U, okay? Anyway, he says the league typically supplies their own umpires. Every once in a while, they have trouble finding an umpire for those younger games, so they will call into our hotline, and one of our assigners will fill that slot for our association. These 12U, 9U games are played on a small field using Federation rules with some local modifications. I got assigned a double header as always, and I was glad to get the work. The games are cash and paid at market rate for our area, $65. That's, that's a good rate for like a 9U game, man. You got to take that. And have um, a drop-dead two-hour time limit, which is also nice, even though that's a little bit long. Since it's a small field, we work those games solo. The only problem is under COVID mechanics, I'm calling balls and strikes from BC, BNC, which puts me in an undesirable location for calls you know, on foul balls down the lines, right? I addressed this with the coaches at the pregame uh, plate meeting by explaining the situation, but there were still some static and jaw jacking. I really want to take uh, talk to my association and help them understand that if we're going to call those small field games with COVID mechanics, we need to have a two-man crew out there. If they don't want to provide a two-man crew, then I'm sure um, I'm not sure I want to continue working those games. But again, I don't like telling my signers, hey, don't give me those games. I'm trying to build a reputation as a guy you can be relied upon and called upon to call any game anywhere at, a, at any time. Is the answer to avoid avoiding those assignments to just continue to work and grow and get myself positioned calling games well consistently at a higher level, thus removing myself from the pool of um, umpires? Um, again, um, what are your thoughts on this? Um, some very interesting stuff here for sure. First, don't say you don't want to do those games. I know that it kind of sucks right now. <laughs> I understand that. But all this COVID stuff is eventually going to go away. Hopefully hopefully by next year. I don't know. Uh, but it will not be there. And you're not going to be doing that kind of game with those kind of mechanics forever. So you, you really do need to just suck it up and do it. Because some guys just don't understand why you wouldn't want to do it if they haven't been out there understanding it, okay? So you do need to just suck it up and do them even if it stinks, all right? Um, and, and know that that's not – the. I mean, if that was the way it's going to be forever, then, you know, I would say, okay, well, you know, maybe say you don't want to do those. But we know that hopefully that's not going to be the case, right? Second thing. It's always better to have two umpires or three or four, whatever. But, you know, it's hard to do any game solo. And the only reason people do games solo is because it's cheaper for those teams and the, you know, whoever's paying for the umpires, right? That's why we have certain games that are two-man instead of three or four because that's cheaper too. Obviously, it costs, you know, twice as much or even more as you start adding umpires, so they're probably not going to do that, especially if they're paying $65 a game, which is pretty dang good. If you, they were going to add two umpires, they're going to reduce the pay on that. You know, you're probably going to get 50 bucks a game or something like that, right? Um, for the games I assigned during the week here for the 8U to like uh, 11U now, no, 12U. 8U to 12U are solo here in my area for the travel weekly games that I do. And... Um, they don't pay as much as that. And they're working behind the plate, you know, um, with their gear on and everything so they can see the fair foul. I mean, that is the trickiest thing about these COVID mechanics is fair foul. And you get a lot of balls that might work up one of the lines, you know, or be right in front of the plate or whatever. I mean, 
I know I don't think some of us think about that as often as we should about how many balls really you know are just kind of rolling up a certain line or they're right out in front of the plate. There's there's several every game. I mean those those you know in what we are going to rely on the catchers to make all those calls because you know they want them to be foul or they want it to be fair so they can get an easy out one or the other. So they're looking for that advantage. Um, I guess that's the give and take that we have um, in in this time. You know you're not going to be able to get everything. I mean two man itself is compromises. Big time compromises. And the only time we start getting way less compromises is when we're working three man. We can always have somebody, you know, covering the play at first base. We can easily get guys to each base with minimal movement. Obviously, four man even more so for that, and we get better outfield coverage and those kind of things. But um, if you're working by yourself in B or C, you can't see fair foul. You're just going to have to make the best call, and it's got to be obvious. And if coaches have a problem with that, you can say, you give them a warning. Say, we talked about this in the play meeting. This is your warning. I'm not hearing anything else about fair foul. That's almost like arguing balls and strikes in, in that kind of situation to me. You know, you give them a warning. If they keep being a jerk about it, get them out of there. Run them. <laughs> okay. You do that enough, then guys are going to learn that, hey, we talked about this, and you're not going to come out here for this 8U, 9U, 10U, 12U game, whatever it is, and act like it's the seventh game of the World Series and be a jerk about it when somebody's out here trying to do their best. If you're going to do that, then you can just go to the parking lot or something or whatever you need to do. Calm yourself down because you don't need to be in this situation anymore. So that is a game management thing too. I guess that that tests you as well. Um, A lot of this stuff during the summer tests a lot of guys. Um, And I've talked about on the show the last couple episodes about – you know, younger umpires, some guys are just younger and some guys are just less experienced that have to deal with uh, some of these coaches during the summer that, you know, to them, their team, whether it's a 10U team or an 18U team is like the best, the most important team in the world. And uh, they want, you know, every call to go their way. And sometimes they start acting like jerks, especially when they get the competitive juices flowing. And you have to, um, you know, manage those guys. I'm not saying you got to run everybody out of the game, but you got to put your foot down and tell them this is the way it's going in this game. And I'm not accepting that kind of behavior. And you give them a chance to correct it. And then if they don't, then you got to get rid of them. I mean, that's the way it works. It's kind of like, you know, I'm a high school teacher. I, I give the kids a chance to behave the way they're supposed to, at least in my classroom. I don't control every classroom. I don't control the hallway. I control what's in my room. And it's the same thing for a baseball field. You control what's on your field for that particular game. You have your set of expectations. You make those clear. You tell them the way it's supposed to be. They're fair, right? And they're for both teams. And if they can't handle that, then they can't be there. And you're going to remove them for the betterment of everybody else around. That's what we do when a kid gets kicked out of class. If a coach or a player gets kicked out of a game, it's for the betterment of the game of baseball and everybody else around. And so they have to understand that. If they can't handle that, then they shouldn't have their team in the league and playing. And that's the way it is. You know, they know that things are going to be different right now. So they are, that's that's a tough uh, situation. You know, the jaw jacking stuff. If it's if it's at you, man, you gotta you gotta take care of that stuff. And that's some of the toughest things to learn as a newer official in any sport, but certainly baseball, um, how to handle people and, um, you know, uh, professionally and politely put them in their place. That's what you got to do. Because uh, we're not their friends when we walk out there. Um, we can be friendly. You know, you know, if they tell a joke, you know, you can laugh, you know. 
Um, you can be light on a certain situation or whatever, but we're not out there starting conversations. And, um, you know, as soon as something doesn't go their way, I'm sure you've noticed this, Robert, they turn on you and stab you right in the back. Okay. <laughs> so they'll do it every single time. The players and the coaches and, you know, the parents and fans and stuff out there too, but we don't have much control over them. We only have control of the people inside our ball field. Right. So you've got to make sure that they know, Hey, I'm, we're not, we're not doing that today. That's not the way this is going. All right. And, uh, make sure they know, Hey, we talked about fair foul, right? So this is your warning. We're not arguing about fair and fouls. If you have a problem with that, then, you know, I'm going to eject you on the next time you argue about fair foul. That's what you do. Just like balls and strikes, you come out. We're not arguing balls and strikes. This is your ball strike warning. Take out your lineup card holder or your paper, you know, if you got that with you, write it down. Same thing with fair foul. I would do that in that situation. This is your fair foul warning, argument warning. We're not arguing anymore. I'm going to call it the best I can, and that's it. And then if they do, then you get rid of them, right? If you have those set of things down, and especially if you have or an organization that backs you on those, just like all of the organizations I work for back you on the ball strike stuff. If you give them a warning, you you do it the procedural way like that, and then they argue about it and you eject them, nobody has any problem. Actually, they're like, good work. That's the way it should be because we want people to know that every game. So you would have to do something similar to that for fair foul, I think, if you're working those mechanics. Fortunately or unfortunately, um, I haven't worked those mechanics, so I don't have experience doing that. But I know that in my in my mind, if I were, um, I would probably be heading down the road that I just explained. All right. So hopefully that helps you out a little bit, Robert. Uh, again, I uh, really appreciate your email and um, you listening to the show. Thanks. Well, kind of winding down um, the summer season, and uh, I've done almost 50 games this year, and I've done things straight up, you know, from, you know, all the games I've worked, I've been uh, two-man games, I I might have done something solo, but pretty much two-man games, Um, I did not wear a mask, Um, I don't have any symptoms, I'm not saying I, I certainly take this uh, pandemic seriously but um, I was able to get through and I think that kind of goes with how things were with with the Iowa high school baseball season which has ended you know if you aren't familiar Iowa does their baseball um, in, in the late late spring early summer you know like May June July kind of stuff with some sc- schools um, and you know associations school associations um, athletic associations are thinking about doing and so for their season this year, which they went along with, and they had uh, 94% of the teams were unaffected. Um, 96% of the teams finished their season. Um, all the infections uh, that were reported were mild. I guess nobody died or something. And uh, the fans were allowed all season. I'm sure they had some kind of measures that they used. Um, you know, it, if you're in the percentage that was affected then it's a big deal to you i mean that's the thing you always got to remember about it's like you can say you know if you drive your car you know 90 whatever percent don't get in an accident but if you get in an accident it's a big deal all right um iowa is not the same as some other states as far as population and um rate of infection and different things like that i mean it's different if you're in florida or california or 
whatever, okay? Um, or Texas, the things are going down there, I guess. Uh, so that factors into it as well. Um, but, um, you know, I think it just kind of shows that baseball is um, maybe a sport that can handle the, um, the pandemic a little bit better than some other sports. I think that it kind of demonstrates that well. I think that it, it does show that uh, maybe there's something to be said, too, for um, trying to play high school seasons um, in the Midwest and the colder states like that um, in the warmer months. I mean, if you're in Florida, you probably don't want to be playing high school baseball in July. <laughs> I'm sure you play baseball down there and it's really hot. But if you, you can play it in February, then go for it. Right. Um, but here in Michigan, we uh, we start like, you know, mid to late March and and then it's over, like the state tournament is over by the middle of June, all right? Um, usually when school is just getting out for most schools, they might be out for a week or something like that. Seniors are out longer than that. It'd be interesting if uh, they did that. Now, here, we um, have had our fall seasons for football uh, canceled in Michigan for the MHSAA. And they're talking about playing football in the spring, which is Boy, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of wrinkles that go into that. They haven't made a decision on some other sports like soccer or volleyball, which is you know in the fall here, or um, cross country. That might be coming by uh, next week, but they already made the decision on football. So obviously, this puts a, quite a wrench into a kid that plays football and baseball, which you know there's a lot of kids that do that. Obviously, this puts a big wrinkle into the umpire that also officiates football. Now, we know football is usually on just certain days of the week, obviously Fridays being the big one. But also, if you're working sub-varsity, maybe working on Thursdays. If you're working some you know, middle school football, you might be on Wednesdays. If you're a collegiate football um, um, official, which they're talking about maybe having the Big Ten and other conferences maybe play in the spring as well, then obviously Saturdays might might be thrown in there so it's definitely going to be um some interesting decisions for some of those guys i mean i just work baseball so i can work at whatever time of the year you want um i in some ways i wish that you know they, they would have moved uh, the season that we lost for high school baseball here to the fall because the fall is always the best time for for baseball you know late summer early fall you get less rain temperatures are good um, it's it's a good time to work games, uh, you know, at least in this part of the country uh, where we have the four seasons, you know, not usually as hot or humid, those kind of things. Um, and you can handle the cold a little bit better, it seems like. So I don't know. We're going to see what we what we have. Hopefully we have a season come spring and things are more under control. Only time will tell. We know it changes almost daily, it seems like. Um, that's where they're heading to now. A lot of people are disappointed, but, uh, they made the best decision that they could. So that's just, that's the way things are right now here in 2020. Um, I'm interested to know what they're doing in your areas. You know, send me a, an email or, uh, leave a voicemail on the anchor app or reach out to me on Facebook or something. Let me know what they're doing in your areas as far as, uh, high school sports and also collegiate sports. If you're a, um, collegiate umpire. So a little while back, I got an email from Ryan Gallant, a listener that's a newer umpire himself, 
And his uh, main question was about umpire schools. And, um, you know, he's, uh, he, he had umpire before and then uh, got back into it after uh, 10 years or so. He's in his late 20s now. And he was wondering if he needed to go to umpire school to umpire high school ball or collegiate ball. So I sent him back an email, but I thought I'd talk about it as well. And, um, and obviously I told him that you don't need to go to umpire school to umpire high school or, or collegiate ball. Certainly going to umpire school helps you immensely in lots of different areas. Not just umpire, I mean just being a person in better control of um, situations and, um, you know, intense situations and stuff. I have never gone to umpire school. I know several guys that have, you know, I've done my little research here on there on umpire school. So I would love to go to umpire school, but as a full-time teacher, I don't know if my, um, if my school district would appreciate me just taking off, you know, several weeks, you know, in February to go down there. Maybe when I retire, I'll go down and, and just get the feel for it all and, and learn some stuff for sure. Um, I certainly am well past the time where I could become a professional umpire working in the minor leagues and, you know, even now, but certainly when I retire, I would uh, be well past that time period. But I think that uh, even if that is not your goal, there, and there are, from what I understand, lots of people that go down, they just want to get better, just want to be a better high school umpire, just want to be a better collegiate umpire. Um, and those things, particularly in, in college umpiring, certainly can help you a little bit to move along. Now, if you are able to go to umpire school, and you do get a job in pro ball, and then you get done working that, you know, you don't make it to the major leagues like most people don't, um, you certainly will have some other opportunities that others might not have uh, because you work professional baseball. Um, matters who is assigning certain games in certain parts of the country and everything, but uh, certainly that can, can definitely help you. But definitely just the skills that you would learn down there the basics, and then some things obviously beyond the basics would certainly help you quite a bit. But there are plenty of other ways to become a very successful high school for sure and college umpire without going to pro school. And the number one way is going to camps, particularly camps in the region that you that you work and that you live, all right? So um, you got to search those out. You know, you got to search umpire camps for whatever your region is. I mean, we've got uh, quite a few here in the Midwest and, and here in the state of Michigan. But if you live in the Northeast or the Southeast or out West or in the Southwest or wherever you might be, um, I'm sure there are some umpire camps and they're probably run by associations and assigners that um, assign games that maybe you might want to work. High school games. Maybe some college games, particularly lower level, that you would be getting in on, you know, like Juco games and things like that. And you got to look at those things and go be seen by those people. Um, good assigners, and there are a lot of good ones all over the place, they go out and watch games and they see umpires or they might hear about somebody and go check them out, but they can only do so much. Um, the best way for them is to have a whole bunch of umpires come to one spot and that's what an umpire camp does all right and they can see you work doesn't mean you got to be perfect all the time uh, you know, sometimes they just want to see that hey you were doing something maybe not the best way somebody taught you a better way and you took it in and you um, weren't the yeah but kind of guy and you worked on it and you're 
changing the way you do it and you're getting better. Because that's what all of us are doing. Even the guys that are at the top of the, the heap, whether it's pro ball or college ball, they're always trying to get better. That's what keeps them there. There's always people coming. So if you go there and you show that you've got some skills and you're willing to learn and you're um, constantly trying to get better, then you'll maybe get some opportunities. So you have to search those out. That is, you know, that is what I've kind of done. You know, there's plenty of guys that are just as good or better umpires than I am. But some of them never go to umpire camp and they don't get seen by people. And they and that kind of shows that maybe you're not trying to always be the best umpire that you can. I mean, it does kind of indirectly and subtly say that. And maybe they don't want to hear that, but that's what it is. So, you know, if they see, hey, you know, Weber got this or that assignment and I didn't get that. I'm just as good or better than him, which maybe you are. I don't know. But you never go to an umpire camp or you're not trying to get better at something, then you don't get it and I get it. You know what? I guess I deserved it more. <laughs> Sorry. That's just the way I'm, I'm going to look at it. All right. Because I am trying to get better. Um, and there's tons of things I can get better at. And also just maintaining what you have, you know, not developing some some bad habits. All right. So I can't tell you like all the umpire camps in particular areas. And I don't even know where Ryan lives, to be honest with you. But um, I'm sure there are some there. Sometimes they're put on by local high school associations. Some of those are hit and miss a bit. But if you're trying to work high school ball and the local high school assigner's there and he sees you there working, just you showing up shows a lot. And he sees, hey, this guy can work a little bit, you know. His strike zone looks solid. You know, they're working on some base stuff and he looks all right. You know, when your name pops up to schedule, you know, if he's using Arbiter and boom, he sees who's available in that area and you're fairly close to this particular school, you might go, oh yeah, you know, he was at the camp. I'll give him a shot. Boom, you get the assignment. Then if you go and you do well there, um, then you don't, you know, you might get some other opportunities. Obviously, once you get an opportunity, you've got to be solid so that you get another one. If you go and screw it all up, obviously that might be the end of you. That's why you got to kind of take it one step at a time and um, know when it's time for you to move to your next level. Some guys, they want to move very quickly, and that's not always the best thing to do. So I, I thought that was interesting. I mean, certainly, Ryan, if, if you want to go and, and go to umpire school and you have the time and the money to do it, do it. Um, the two main ones, of course, are the Wendelstead Umpire School, and then, of course, um, you've got the um, Umpire Training Academy as well, the Minor League Baseball Umpire Training Academy. And they both kind of feed into the same... Um, group of umpires that eventually get the professional jobs. I mean, there's, you know, that's a whole nother hierarchy of things. And of course, they kind of change those as well. All right. As, as you know, and they might change it again. I mean, we didn't have any minor league baseball this year. So who knows what the heck's happening um, in the future. Interesting stuff. Um, go to umpire camps, go to mini clinics, uh, be seen, and that will help any of you out there to either maintain what you have. You know, don't be that guy that thinks I don't need to go to these anymore or uh, to move up. I go to at least one umpire camp every year, usually the local three man camp. Well, it's local for me because Bruce Stone Senior um, three man camp, the invitational one here. Um, the guys come in from all over the Midwest and sometimes from the East Coast as well. Um, I go there and I've been going, I don't know, five, six years in a row, I think. And, you know, it's not like I'm some pro at at three men, I've gotten a lot better. It took me a couple of years even to have some comfort level with it. Um, 
did that help me to, you know, get some spring D1 non-con assignments? Probably did, yes, because I showed that I can do that and that I have the desire to work hard at it and to try to get better. I don't know what the heck's going to happen this next spring, but um, hopefully I'm still in the mix. We'll see how it goes. Am I still planning to go to the three-man camp this coming fall? Yes, I am. Hopefully it is going to happen with all the COVID-19 stuff happening, but I still plan to go and um, try to get better at it. I, I know some guys probably won't be going, and maybe they're better or not as good umpires as me, or maybe, you know, I don't know what the deal is, but if I go and they don't, then I guess I'm more in the mix for things. So that's kind of my philosophy. Take it or leave it for whatever you might think. But I, I know for sure that umpire camps and clinics and things like that help people. Well, they do help you get better, and they certainly help you move along the chain. Recently, I got a question from a listener about my opinions on automatic ball strike machines and the new technology that is continuing to evolve um, in baseball. Um, most of us, of course, are familiar with um, the pitch tracking uh, machines that we see on television, right? Which in, in some ways is similar to the um, ABS type systems, but those are even more specific. Like the ones they're talking about and that they have been using in minor league ball where guy has the earphone in and it tracks the pitch and tells him if it's a ball or strike and then he makes the call. Those kind of things are, are way more accurate from what I hear anyway than the ones you might see on television where they just have the box there. And of course, any of us that have ever worked a baseball game, which I assume you are because you're listening to this podcast, you know, maybe you're a coach or something and you've never worked the plate or something like that and you just wanted to listen. But the strike zone is not like a plane of glass that's, you know, right in front of the plate and, you know, the size of the the hitter strike zone. We all know that. It's, you know, it is the whole plate, right? So it's like a container that is that size that could be glass on all sides in the shape of that plate and the size of the strike zone. And if any of that gets touched by the ball or broken, if you want to think of it as more thin glass, I guess, then it's a strike. And we see that as a problem when we're watching on television where a ball might, uh, because, you know, professionals can really spin that ball. Um, they can throw it hard and they can spin it. So it might move through that strike zone and break that and be caught outside of the strike zone, but still be a strike. And we talk about, you know, pitch framing. Pitch framing, of course, you know, is trying to make it look like a strike um, as best you can so that it's still within that set strike zone for that particular batter. So what are my thoughts on this? Okay, will, would you get more accurate um, ball and strike games? Probably. Yeah, you probably would. Would you get some hitters that think that they are always getting ripped off up there? In professional baseball, obviously minor major league is the main area here, but you know you see it in the minor leagues because that's where they'd have the money to spend on this stuff. Would they be shocked at some of the strikes that be called on them? Yes, because we see that in every game too. That there's a ball that's caught poorly, um, or the pitcher is in a rut and he's not throwing a lot of strikes and he doesn't get a, a borderline call 
You know, we, we know how that works, right? And they'd be called a strike. And they'd be, there'd be more strikes called. I think there'd be more strikes called, yes. Uh, I'm not saying that guys are missing strikes, but there'd be more, um, it'd be less of, um, you know, like a pitcher, you know, you get more strikes. The more strikes you throw, the more strikes you get. That's usually kind of the way it works. And so that wouldn't matter. That momentum that a pitcher has or doesn't have is not going to figure in as much. So guys are going to get those calls. They're going to get more of those high pitches called on the corners and the upper reach, reaches of the strike zone and also on that lower end as well. So um, I think that that definitely um, would be a shock to some people. Maybe it moved the game along. I don't know. I mean, the, the big thing is you want to get in to move along. I mean, baseball is always talking about pace of play at whatever level it might be. And you don't want some technology just to slow things down. I think that they can figure that out. I mean, technology is pretty amazing. You know, just think of what it's done in your lifetime, you know, in different areas. And, and they certainly can make that work. I mean, if we can put somebody on the moon, you know, we can figure out how to quickly call balls and strikes. So I don't have a problem with that. I think this is more professional thing and high-level college thing. You know, like the, I can see like something like the SEC using it or the Pac-12 or, you know something like that, um, and obviously minor league and, and major league baseball, it, I think it would be a long time before you saw that in high school baseball because schools don't have money to spend on that kind of stuff, you know? And I think it would be a long time before you saw it in all these, you know, travel ball tournaments and everything. You could see it at, like, some kind of tryout camp where they have that in there. That would be useful. It could be useful for practices and things like that in different levels. Um, but uh, I think there still is going to be that need for umpires that can call balls and strikes um, at lower, more amateur levels. It seems to be the way things are going, though. I mean, it, it's here already, and um, it will continue to evolve. And eventually I do see that, um, you know, Major League Baseball is going to have some kind of automated ball strike calling. You'll still need a home blade umpire there to render those calls and obviously be there for fair foul and safe and outs at home plate and you know other interference and obstruction type plays and all those kind of things that happen as well and then if the um if it you know goes down the system you need somebody there that still has the skills to do that i kind of equated a little bit to you know we used to have people checking you out at the grocery store um you know, and then there was a bagger and all this kind of stuff. If you're old enough to remember this, and now we have, you know, six lanes or something like that, and one person running all of them, it's kind of like what they're doing there. It's, um, you know, I guess a cheaper way to go that way. That, now, they're, they're hoping it's more accurate. Does it take certain things out of the baseball game? I and mean, that's what we talked about with Instant Replay, too. Well, it takes the, you know, the arguments out of the game, and it takes some of the, you know, the things that people like about baseball out of the game. That's, you know, there are less arguments now because there's instant replay. But also, there's more accuracy. Things are correct. There's still things that you need to do. You need to be able to manage a baseball game and um, control things and get the other calls you need to get right. And if they take the pressure off of guys calling balls and strikes, I guess, and um, automate it that way, then um, I, I guess that's better for the game. I don't know. Uh, none of us want to lose our job, I guess, on the line. You know, we like this. Uh, vocation that we have most of us do this on a, as a side thing right I mean I know some of you are full-time officials in different sports but uh, 
for most of us, this is what we want. We don't want some computer to take over. But um, I don't think we have to worry about that too much, in the level, at least in the levels I work. Um, I think it's still going to be there for at least as long as I plan on doing this until I get too old and I can't really handle it anymore. Um, but I think for professional and definitely Major League Baseball, it's going to come sooner than later. Um, they're going to be doing that. But there's still going to need to be a guy there doing many of the other things that we know an umpire has to do from behind the plate. So hopefully that answers the questions. That's my um, ideas about that. Um, I know maybe some of you have that irritation when people talk about a game that they're watching on TV and how the umpire is not making good calls or this or that, the plate umpire. And, oh, well, that ball looks as I were the announcers when they say things. Um, but I guess that's just, this goes with the territory. I'm sure that uh, I don't referee uh, big-time college basketball, for example, and you know I get irritated with some things that happen in those kind of games or football or something like that. When you're on the field and you know how it's really going, you, you know the challenges that are out there, and I, I don't really um, understand those. So I, I can, but I do understand them for baseball. Nonetheless, you know, technology is not going away, and it's going to happen, and we just have to go with the flow and adjust with it, and um, hopefully help to make it a better game and uh, the game that we all love, right? Well, there you go. Another episode of the Hammer and Umpire Podcast. I thank you all for listening and um, listening to the end because obviously you didn't uh, just cut to the end here and skip all my other things just to hear the the conclusion. (laughs) So I thank you for that. I thank uh, Ryan and Robert and others that have uh, contacted me and given me some emails and feedback on things. I I do appreciate that. Um, It's nice to hear from guys when they say that you know, they get something from my podcast or it helps them out a little bit. Um, I certainly always look forward to helping uh, the newer umpires or helping you try to get through some of the difficult situations that you might encounter. So feel free to um, send me your questions or comments on those things. If you don't want me to use your name or something, I'm, I'm fine with that too. But some guys like to get the shout out, so it's kind of nice, right? Um, and um, I'm looking to produce, you know, more shows in the coming weeks here. So, you know, if you want to be on the show, an easy way to do that is to send me a voicemail through the Anchor app and um, you can get your voice on there and then I can kind of respond to whatever it is you might have said. Until then, keep calling strikes.